All right, so we're here back again talking about Jesus, where are you, sort of trusting God in the chaos of everyday life, mm -hmm. in the shadow of COVID-19, yeah. uh, and just living life more generally. Sure. We've made it through Genesis, mm -hmm. uh, and I think we're at sort of a, a key question, Yeah. right? So you have this sort of fork in the road, right? Do you hop to the Gospels, or do you go to the next book in the mm -hmm. Torah? Yeah. Uh, and so... As our tour guide, you know, where where are we going? Sure, yeah. And I think it's a great question because I think even when we uh, titled the class, you know, Jesus, where are you? Yeah. You know, I think, and I, I don't blame anyone for thinking this, you might have had the assumption, oh, we're going to be in the Gospels and yeah. we're going to be in the New Testament a yeah. bunch. Uh, and at the same time, like I totally resonate with that. Um, I do think it's important, though, before we kind of jump right into Jesus and in like, you know, a chapter sure, sure. in one of the Gospels is that we have like a good framework and understanding of the Bible that Jesus himself read. Hmm. Uh, and I think of... As Which would be the Hebrew the, Bible. Yeah, the Old Testament. What we call the Old Testament. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And I think of when I read the Gospels and see Jesus interacting, whether it's his temptation narrative in the wilderness or whether he's interacting with, you know, at the baptism when he gets baptized in the early part of his ministry in the Jordan River or on the cross, there's all these Old Testament echoes and hmm. whether he's quoting or whether he's, oh, yeah. you know you know, echoing something from the Old Testament. Yeah. Um, and I think it helps us, the more we understand the Old Testament, at least on a big picture level, uh, it helps us then when we do come to the Gospels, understand more in a greater level, so mm. to speak, as to what exactly Jesus uh, is doing. Because Jesus yeah. himself said and thought that he was fulfilling this whole storyline of the Old Testament. Yeah. Um, and so as we seek to follow Jesus and ask the question, Jesus, where are you? I think it's appropriate to say, well, Jesus is in these passages yeah. in the Old Testament. Yeah. And these are the scriptures that he gleaned comfort from and gleaned encouragement from in his own life. And I yeah. think we can do the same thing yeah. um, as well. I think uh, part of it is, at least for me, the Old Testament... Be honest, you're nerding out a little <laughs> sure, bit. Totally. And... Yeah, totally. <laughs> I think there's a level for like, I mean, personally, where I, I have this like... I don't know what the right word is. Maybe this hidden agenda yeah. of I want everyone to be obsessed with the Bible the yeah. way I am yeah. in a way. And I want to expose people it, to share your passion. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. to just come along for the ride of seeing just the wonderful yeah. you know, story that the scripture yeah. is and seeing how it all does point sure, sure. Uh, to Jesus. And you have this season where we're trapped in our homes totally, yeah. and we're a captive audience. Yeah, and you're like, I'm going to go for 52 weeks. Totally, so we're, yeah. just gonna... <laughs> we're just going to, you know, chug along and, you know, go through it. It's a yeah, chance yeah. to, you know, talk about some yeah. stories that, you know, we otherwise probably wouldn't have at the time totally or the space to talk about so um i did want to point out this is uh on the notes here kind of some different i think strategies sometimes we have as christians to kind of cope with the old testament huh. in a sense of like well the old testament at least depending on your background you know yeah. growing up in and church what or not part of the old testament exactly you're you're in right there's very different yeah, yeah ways of interacting yes. with it and i think sometimes this is an exaggeration just to simply make a point. But sometimes sure. we think of the, the New Testament as like, oh, that's the Jesus part. That's the grace part. That's yeah. the love part. And then the Old Testament, like that's all like laws, yeah. angry They're God, grumpy. grumpy. Yeah. And there's this, you know, false dichotomy that's, yeah. you know, presented. And so then when we are told, hey, go read your Bible, yeah. you know, spend time in God's word. Yeah. You, The first three quarters of your Bible is... You know, where's Jesus in, in all mm. this? You know, Jesus isn't doesn't appear until the last you know quarter of the New Testament. 
And so we have like these different ways of interacting with hmm. the Old Testament that aren't all bad. I think one of them that comes that to aren't mind. aren't all bad. That aren't, yeah, that yeah. aren't all bad. Yeah. I think there's good motivation and intention behind it. But I think like just for example, what we sometimes do is the first one I have here, these kind of coping strategies is like the hero example strategy mm. where we just yeah. come to the Old Testament. Moses. Exactly. David. Exactly. Yeah. Picture them, put them on a pedestal. Yeah. They're a hero. Yeah. And it's kind and of like And we saw a couple weeks ago, like the Joseph story, the Abraham story. Yeah. Uh, Isaac, like these are not hero stories. Totally. Yeah. They're very honest portrayals of the human condition. Some of them are very gritty. Yeah. In fact. Totally. Yeah. And so I think there's, there's good motivation in that where it's like, you know, we want to find inspiration. We want to, you know, what does it look like to live a life of faith? What is it, you know, these example motifs, I think there's, there's some validity to that. Um, But just, you know, I think we have to kind of take that with a grain of salt mm. is what I'm trying to say. That's yeah. not the primary thing I think that the old Testament is trying to do. The old Testament is sense. trying to show us, you know, our need for Jesus and is actually pointing us forward. Mm. Look for this Messiah figure. Yeah. Look for this one who is to come look yeah. for this snake crusher. Yeah. Like we talked it's just about. a long form story. Totally. Yeah. It has lots of genres. You have prophets, you have wisdom literature, yeah. you have history, you have some sort of ancient, Texts that are sort of like, oh, what's going on here, right? Totally. So you have all these different, this mosaic, yeah, the story like mosaic, sort of yeah. in this mosaic form that's painting a picture of the need for Jesus, exactly in the yeah. New Testament. Yeah, one, and one of the things in probably in a, I think probably next week I want to really highlight that is the Torah itself, the first five books, is actually pointing forward, like in like the literary structure, sure, sure, and is saying you know, what we need around here is actually not more laws. What we need around here is a spirit-filled human who can save us. What we need around here is humans that have a changed heart. What we need around here is a prophet greater than Moses who can come and save and redeem us. And even the end of Deuteronomy is looking for the blessings and the curses. It's sort of looking for who are these people going to be. Exactly. Yeah, totally. It's one of the things we'll definitely hit on. Sorry. No, no, that's okay. No, it's actually, it's in here. Um, The second kind of coping strategy is that is like a theological answer so we kind of use the Old Testament narratives as like little dictionary entries on, hmm. you know, here's how we understand, you know, God's sovereignty. We use this story maybe as an example, huh. or here's how we understand like angels or prayer or yeah. something like that. And then again, there's nothing necessarily yeah. wrong with that. I think yeah. we want to come to yeah. the scriptures to but be it's informed. A, it's an encyclopedic understanding yeah. versus a narrative exactly. story where there's actually a, a development that's happening. Exactly. Yeah. Totally, because I think what could then happen is when we come to it as, like I like how you said that, an encyclopedia, what can often happen is we just kind of rip it out of its, you know, yeah, I know this one. Jewish context, yeah. and then we import our modern context into yeah. it and forget that this is part of an ongoing, yeah. developing story that has ups and downs, that has yeah. all of these different, you know, has contours. a before and after. Exactly, totally. Yeah. Um, and again, I want to... My, my theology should be developed by the scriptures. Yeah. Um, but I think part of what I'm hoping to do in, in this, in these sessions is to come to the scriptures on its own terms, yeah. get into, you know, what these narratives were saying first to the ancient audience. And then we come at it with, hmm. you know, the questions that we have or, or don't have. Um, and then the kind of the third one is like an inspirational, motivational strategy. This yeah. is like, you know, you take your walk around your Jericho wall. Exactly. And, totally. Yeah, stuff yeah. like that. Or like defeat your giants kind yeah, of a thing. Yeah. Or like the Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans, you know, yeah. I have for you kind of a yeah. thing. Again, not all true bad. things, true things. Yeah. Totally. But and they again, are inspirational stories. Exactly. And that's awesome. I think they, they should build our faith. They should, yeah. you know, help us to grow in our faith like that. Um, but again, it's always, these are all kind of similar. It's the, the tendency to rip it out of context yeah. and forget 
the surrounding narrative of what yeah. God is actually doing um, in those mm. verses. I think the Jeremiah Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. If you're familiar with that passage, is you know it's for I know the plans I have for you, plans yeah. to help you prosper and grow. Yeah. But that's written in a moment. We're gonna actually talk about yeah. that passage in a moment where Israel is in exile yeah. in Babylon. Yeah, they've it's, literally had been ripped out of what they love. Totally. Yeah. And now they're in this other place, and they want to go back. They want to go back home in Israel, and God is like, no, no, no. Actually, you're stop looking into the past. Exactly. Look into the future. Be here with me in Babylon in Be exile. Faithful. Yeah. yeah, he goes on to say, like, you know, kind of going side sidetracked here, but he goes on to say, you know, plant gardens, yeah. you know, find a job and yeah. hang out and be faithful and bless Babylon <laughs> yeah. in the midst of your exile. Um, so, I mean, it's a context thing for mm-hmm. sure. Um, but kind of building off some of this, just that's kind of more of like the negative, you know, yeah. you know, things to be wary of when we approach the Old Testament. But more on like a positive side is. I just want to quickly highlight some of these things like Jesus on multiple occasions. But I think my favorite story when Jesus is reflecting on the scriptures is actually a post resurrection story in Luke 24 hmm. where he's on the road to Emmaus yeah, yeah. and the disciples are distraught. Yeah. They're like, you know, a couple I, people they're Jesus has just been crucified, but yeah. they don't know he's been resurrected and they don't they're, recognize. Yeah. Him. They're walking home. Yeah. They don't recognize him. Uh, he starts sharing a little bit. From the scriptures. From the scriptures, yeah. And he's ha- he has this line in Luke 24 where he says, didn't you know that everything that was written in the law of Moses, the, yeah. the, the prophets and the writings or the Psalms. And that's when he says that three-part shape, the law, the prophets, and the writings, that's yeah. the Jewish way of understanding mm-hmm. the shape of the, yeah, the Hebrew the scripture. The Tanakh, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's saying that these things written in the Tanakh, which is the Jewish way of talking about sure. the Old Testament, these things all pointed to, to him. him, yeah, and it um, says their hearts warmed within them. Yeah, when yeah, they, that they're, when he opened to us yeah. the scriptures, and I just I love that image of like one's heart coming alive as yeah. they encounter Jesus in the scriptures, and to be yeah. like specifically over food, actually, exactly. Oh yeah, yeah. The, the breaking of the bread, <laughs> the whole thing. It's just this yeah, yeah. beautiful thing of like yeah. the, the bread is being broken, the scriptures. Yeah. It's just it's it's yeah, amazing. It's cool. Um, Paul has a famous line in Second Timothy, the second kind of point here. Where Paul says to Timothy, all scripture is, is God breathed. It's mm-hmm. kind of the famous, mm-hmm. like inspired yeah. by God. Um, but he also says that the scriptures were given to train us, mm-hmm. to, re- to give us reproof, yeah. correction, that the man of God may be equipped to do every good work. Now, when Paul says there that the scriptures train us, that the scriptures are God breathed, inspired by God, he's not referring to the New Testament. Yeah. I mean, the New Testament hasn't been written. Yeah. He's talking about the Hebrew yeah. scriptures. And totally. so I think it's for us to understand that these scriptures, even though they're so ancient, and I, I totally am sympathetic on a first reading on many of these narratives, it's like, what in the world does this have to do with yeah. anything that I'm dealing with? Yeah. The claim of scripture itself is that these narratives speak God's word to us mm. across time and space, yeah. across cultures, across all these different things. And then kind of lastly here, so many of the main things that we see about Jesus and understand about him, all almost all of them have an Old Testament story or anchor point. Hmm. Um, the meaning of Jesus' death, as far as concepts of sacrifice, those yeah. are all anchored yeah. in the, the New Te- Old Testament. Back, yeah. The Old Testament, uh, whatever the gospel. I mean, that's from Isaiah. Isaiah mm-hmm. talks about the gospel in the Isaiah fifty-two. The good yeah. news, uh, the loving neighbor. Loving God and loving neighbor—that's yeah. all anchored in the Old Testament. Yeah, Leviticus. Lord's Supper, Leviticus, yeah. baptism is all anchored yeah. in the Old Testament. So all these things that we kind of take for granted all have an Old Testament framework mm-hmm. behind them. 
Um, I just Which makes sense because these are people yeah. that are reared in the Old Testament doing these things. Totally. So oh, it's yeah. like it's an intuitive progression for them. Yeah. And sometimes we think 2,000 years later like, oh, these are New Testament people. No, no. These are people that come out of the Old Testament exactly. that the New Testament is written by. Totally. Oh, yeah. I mean, the New Testament, I mean, it's all written by essentially the family of Abraham for the most part, right? These yeah. Jewish people that are anchored in these stories are reflecting on them. God is speaking to them and then gives birth to what we now have, what we call the scriptures. And I think the more we can get back to understanding the the new Testament in light of its old Testament context, really getting into like the Jewish understanding of reading these Mm -hmm. texts. I think the closer we're getting to not importing our kind of modern assumptions into them, but trying as best we can by the grace of God to understand these texts and read these texts like how Jesus and the apostles would have read yeah. um, these good. texts. So that's that's kind of my I'm hope convinced. With, with all these, yeah. I'm convinced. So um, that's where we're at. Now, what's next? Yeah, what's next? Um, so kind of we're taking the next progression, the next step in the journey. Um, we've talked about some of the main highlights in Genesis. Okay. Uh, what I'd like to do, kind of big picture real quick, is that we're not going to be able to go through every book of the Bible as much as I'd love to. Okay. <laughs> but I was really looking, looking forward, forward to that. We would Leviticus. Forever. And... We'll actually talk about Leviticus okay, I think good. next week. Kind of the minor picture. prophets. All these different things. Yeah. We got to at least touch <laughs> on them a little bit. Uh, kind of three things, big picture, that I think are helpful, at least have been helpful for me and kind of my understanding of the New Testament. Yeah. Having these buckets in the back of my head as I read the New Testament, I'll put it like that. Uh, the first bucket is creation, and that's kind of what we've talked about with Genesis, sure. the beginning. Uh, the second bucket is Exodus, just okay. kind of having the Exodus, even yeah. at the Exodus slash wilderness stories okay. in the back of my head. And then also the exile stories, which is mm-hmm. kind of a little bit lesser known of, the, of these three. And so creation, Exodus, and exile, having these sort of buckets kind of floating in the back of my brain as I'm reading the New Testament really yeah. helps bring the New Testament alive, at least mm. for me. And I think it, um, hopefully as we go through this, it'll resonate with people yeah. as well. So th- we've done the first bucket. We're going to jump into the second bucket, okay. which is Exodus. Um, so I, at least on my notes right here, we have at least two weeks with that, uh, yeah. potentially three. And then just for people just listening to this, I think there's probably at least two to three buckets in the exile, um, kind of uh-huh. area. And then we'll be able to hit into the gospels and get into some of what the apostles are saying. Okay. Um, there. So for whatever, you know, help that, that yeah, may yeah. or may not be, no, it's, good. Um, it's kind of where, where we're going. And I so think if we're in the, the COVID-19 shelter in place thing for 10 weeks, you got plenty we, of content. Oh yeah. There's plenty if, to go uh, through. <laughs> if we only have, you know, five or six weeks left, then, you know, we'll, we'll maybe pivot. we'll, maybe we'll figure out what we're going to do, but I think we'll keep doing this content. Totally. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I think I've been encouraged along. personally on Wednesday nights. Um, just been one of the most refreshing times yeah. In my week, just getting to yeah. chat with people about this stuff. So, well, it's one of the few times you probably have peace and quiet. Yeah. <laughs> I guess so. Well, I don't know about that. Yeah. You'll have to, there's always background noise, but it's all, it's, it's signs of beautiful life. All right. For sure. So, Exodus. Anyway, so Exodus, yes, especially with the Exodus. Um, what's interesting is Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, I'm, I'm going to start here. Yeah. Paul tells the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 10 that our ancestors, walked around in the wilderness and he's referring to the Exodus. Now you might think, okay, what is, what is Paul getting at that? This is first Corinthians 10, one and, and following hmm. Paul's audience as he's writing to the Corinthian church is at the very least a mixed audience as far as ethnic backgrounds sure. go. So Gentiles and probably Jewish people there as mm-hmm. well. 
And for Paul to tell a what I think is probably a predominantly Gentile church yep. to say our ancestors were in the wilderness. And these things, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, and were written for us for like an example for mm. us that we might not do the negative things they did, but we might actually live faithfully at their good points, points to the Exodus story for sure being not just something for the Jewish people in the past, mm -hmm. but for Paul in the middle of the first century to write to a predominantly Gentile church and say, hey guys, these are your ancestors now. Mm -hmm. When you become a part of the, the family of Jesus, the Exodus story becomes your story. Mm -hmm. And the Exodus narrative becomes a way for you to think about and live um, in the world. And so I think I just want to kind of circle back with some of this to say, I think what the Exodus story, one of the, one of the many things the Exodus story does is it helps us stay rooted with what Paul says is our ancestors' history mm -hmm. and that we become, and I'll explain this more, an Exodus-shaped people. Okay. Um, and kind of the basic framework of that is you have a people that are suffering, yep. people that are hurting, yep. a people where Exodus chapter 2 says they're groaning to God. Their, yep. their groans and their prayers are crying out before God. And God, the language of the Exodus says God comes down and he is going to come through Moses and deliver his people. Okay. And I think that sort of framework of the cries of our hearts going up to God yeah. and God coming down and meeting us in that pain and that brokenness and seeing God's healing and deliverance in those places yeah. and God leading us through impossible situations, for us to see that framework in our own lives, what does it mean to be an Exodus-shaped people? Well, it means to be a people of prayer yeah. and it means to be a people that encounter God in difficult, in difficult spaces. Hmm. And even though when God does deliver, because God is faithful to do that, yeah. it doesn't mean it's you know peachy and rosy and fun. Yeah. The Exodus generation has a, a long period, and we'll get to this maybe probably next week, of being in the wilderness. Yeah. And so an Exodus-shaped people is not just the victory of deliverance over yeah. you know whatever that situation yeah. might be, but it's also learning to journey with God in the midst of difficulty. Yeah. That's the wilderness yeah. um, kind of section of that. Yeah. Well, one of the ways I've even heard it framed is like, it's not necessarily, the Exodus isn't necessarily even about freedom. Mm. It's about whom are we serving? Yeah, totally. Right. So it's a transition of service from serving Pharaoh to serving God. Totally, yeah. Uh, so it's not even like freedom is even sometimes like actually a misnomer. Totally. Oh yeah, especially in our modern Western context yeah. of like how we have not just, it's a, it's a, broadly cultural thing too, where we have misdefined freedom to just essentially mean to freedom do, to do whatever, whatever you want. You want. Yeah. When just classically throughout most of human history, freedom has not been defined as to do whatever you know you want, but yeah. is the freedom to become a good and virtuous sort of person that's mm -hmm. just on a more broader level. Yeah. Um, but when you see the narrative of the Exodus story, yeah. the, the cry of Moses when he encounters Pharaoh, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here, is let us go out so that we may worship Yahweh, mm -hmm. that we might worship God. It's not, let's just go out and be free from slavery to go do whatever we yeah. want. We want yeah. to be free from the oppression of Pharaoh to now be free to go worship Yahweh. Mm -hmm. And that pivot, that transition is, is super important when yeah. we're talking about um, the sorts of things. So, All right, so if you were going to start, where would we start? Yeah, I want to actually start in the very, very beginning of the book of Exodus, just as a kind of a very quick side note, if you have the notes I have two other things that you can look at, some quotes that kind of build off what we were just talking about here. Mm. There's a little book called Echoes of Exodus, mm. where a lot of this is kind of coming from. Is um, that written by? Andrew Wilson. Oh, yeah. Over in, uh, I think he's England? in England. Yeah, England. Yep. And he just kind of goes through the Exodus story and then shows how this Exodus pattern gets repeated over and over throughout Scripture. It's yeah. like super easy read, but it's just beautifully well-written, yeah. well-researched, the whole thing. 
Um, so there's a few kind of quotes from that to kind of, if you want to go a little deeper on that. Um, but as we actually get into the book of Exodus itself, um, 8.1, I have on the notes, I don't want to spend, you know, we don't need to spend so much time here, but if someone's curious as to like how the book is broken up by chapters, yeah. you have that there. Um, but just to kind of tie the book of Exodus with the end of Genesis, remember the Genesis story ends with God's people, Jacob and the, the 12 sons, and yeah. they multiply. They're in Egypt because yeah. of that famine. And so the story just literally picks up from there. Okay. I mean, it fast forwards a yeah. number of years, but yeah. Israel is still in Egypt. 400. 400, yeah. It's a long time. So I guess it doesn't like pick up. It, it jumps in time, but Israel is still geographically yeah. in the same in the yeah. same spot. Yeah. Um, but what's interesting and what's important to know is that a couple of things have shifted in the mm. transition of the books. There's a new pharaoh in, that comes to power, yeah. and this new pharaoh is full of, I guess, insecurity and fear. And mm. he sees, it's interesting, you have the the Hebrew people, it says in the book of Exodus in chapter one that they have, they're becoming great and they're multiplying. And it's it literally copy and paste from Genesis one where God had told the humans, be fruitful mm. and multiply. And so here you have, I mean, most of us know the story, but if you're just reading the first few lines, you're like, oh, God's people, they're being fruitful and multiplying. Yeah. They're, they're doing the yeah. Genesis one yeah. thing, right? It's off to a good start. Wow. But then right after you have, okay, well, the response of the Pharaoh is he's going to actually start making, I have, this is some of these hyperlink things where he's going to have them use brick and mortar to start build his empire hmm. and he's going to enslave them. Now the I last, can think of one time old, that and that there is only is. one other yeah. time in the old Testament where brick and mortar is used in this way. And it's yeah. the tower of Babylon. Yeah. And what this is getting at is here you have not just, you know, any old random story here. Sure. What the biblical author is trying to communicate to us is here is a new Babylon. Here is a new, yeah. you know, human pride, you know, coming to its, its point. Yeah. Where now it's about how do I well, take Well, even another... the structure of the pyramid. Oh, yeah, totally. Right. It's like built towards pharaohs on top, right? It's like exactly. very hierarchical. It's it a is. classic pyramid scheme. Totally. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and it's just, it's yeah. it's highlighting just, again, yeah. the human pride and all of that. Um, so brick and mortar was used once in Genesis 11. The only other time it's used is in Exodus 1. Wow. Um, and it's the echo back and forth. We're meant to see both of these stories, I think, blended yeah. together as we read this. This is the pride of humanity. Um, and humans wanting to control and humans wanting to use their own resources and their mm -hmm. own ingenuity at the expense of another people group. Yeah. Um, and I think that's one of the, the sad things as this narrative starts. Um, a couple other things to point out is that the Exodus story is going to introduce us to these concepts of two big words, salvation and redemption. Okay. And again, you read the New Testament, those words are just over and over and over lot, again. Yeah. But where those words are first introduced to us hmm. is in the Exodus story. Really? And so I think the framework that we're meant to have when we read passages in the New Testament is those are Exodus words. Yeah. Those are God rescuing his people words. Mm -hmm. And so, sure, there's slight differences when we get to the New Testament, mm -hmm. but we, we want to have the framework of the Exodus story in the back of our yeah. heads. So it maybe isn't even f fair to say like there's the old Exodus yeah. and then there's the new Exodus. The new Exodus, yeah, totally. And that's why... I mean, we we're just we're recording this the week after Easter yeah. and Good Friday. I mean, the reason I think Jesus had his everything comes to a head yeah. at the week of Passover. Yeah. Right. And this is celebrating and commemorating yeah. the Exodus that happened generations sure. ago. And Jesus is announcing in more ways than one. 
there's a new exodus yeah. that's happening. And the Lord's Supper, the right? Lord's is Supper. In there. Do totally. this in remembrance, remembrance of me. Remembrance of me. They're asked to remember the Passover. We're asked to remember exactly uh, this this new exodus totally. that Jesus is initiating. Totally. And I think to see the the rescue and the exodus that Jesus is bringing is is more broad and more deep than yeah. I think we often give credit for. I think just real quickly highlighting Exodus chapter one, it's, and I have this in the notes here. I don't need to read through all of it if you want to sure. take a look at it. But the scope of Egypt's oppression through the Pharaoh yeah. is not just what we might think like spiritual oppression. There's economic mm-hmm. oppression. There's political oppression. There's social, physical. relational, physical oppression. Yeah. There's all these different dynamics hmm. that have plagued the human condition. And I think when we're talking about God's healing work in the world, in the midst of a broken world, yeah. you know, we're t- we talk a lot about new creation, new heavens, new earth. Like this is a a cosmic yeah. redeeming thing that God wants to do. It's not just you and your individual ticket to a sure. better place one day, but God wants to heal the world of all of the brokenness yeah. that we Which is we maybe see. even a merger of all the creation stuff exactly. we talked about in Genesis. Now we're talking about this freedom, deliverance, totally. salvation stuff, new exodus. New, new creation. creation, like, oh, maybe These that's where some of that language is coming from. It intersects 100%. Yeah. I think all of the, it just, it's so fun for me to just see how these themes just yeah. kind of intersect and intertwine yeah. um, throughout reading the biblical narrative. Um, so it can, again, just highlight, again, the, the scope of Egypt's oppression is is vast. Yeah. And the scope of God's redemption is even vaster. Yeah. And I think that's an important kind of paradigm to have in the back of our heads. Again, noting that, uh, when Israel's in slavery, they're being, they're crying out because in a sense, they're being coerced to worship Pharaoh. They're being coerced. Think Mm. of worship as service, Mm -hmm. right? They're being coerced to serve the Pharaoh. Mm -hmm. And what ultimately is going to happen is that they are going to be free, liberated to serve and worship Mm -hmm. Yahweh, the the Hebrew name for the covenant name for God. Um, And so you have in Exodus 2.23, it says the Israelites cried out to God because of their, their slavery. Yeah. But then Exodus 4, God says, or Moses said to Pharaoh, Israel is my son. Uh, there's a whole hyperlink there. Israel is my son. Let my son go that we may worship me. Now in English, you have two different words there. In Exodus 2.23, Israel cries out to God because of their slavery. That's mm-hmm. how it's translated. In Exodus chapter 4, Moses is saying, let my people go so that my son may worship me. So you have slavery and worship. It's the exact same word in Hebrew, Hmm. slavery and worship. Now it's not to say like worship to God is like drudgery or slavery, but it's talking about this idea of being liberated to serve from an oppressive Hmm. regime to now this, what God is going to say, like you have been set free to truly worship me. I want to teach you what true worship is like. Paul, Paul sort of hits on this. We talk about slaves to Mm -hmm. righteousness. This idea of like who, to whom are we enslaved? Exactly. Yeah. There's a, there's a, Deep, I mean, Romans in particular has yeah. so much Exodus language in it of, you know, what does it mean to be given over to sin? Yeah. And sin, I think, we become oh, slaves, slaves to, to sin. sin. And yeah. sin it almost becomes like this kind of cosmic power. It's like almost yeah. like a capital S kind of sin, this yeah. master, this Pharaoh. Yeah. Um, and Paul says you've been set free from that so yeah. that you may be slaves to righteousness. Is totally. how the New Testament um, talks about that. That's good. Um, so that kind of sets the stage for kind of the background yeah and then for yeah so then it zooms in on on this character moshe moses um and so what you have is again the israelites are enslaved uh there's this whole thing with the hebrew midwives 
and their involved their involvement in the story they actually fear god hmm. and so they're trying to figure out how can we actually be part of the solution in this and then it's just this very simple sort of point i don't have a ton of time to get into it right now but yeah. it's it's then it's it's fascinating because god uses these these women to initiate god's redemption and salvation mm. And the language that's used to describe how these Hebrew midwives, they see Moses in the river, they take Moses and they draw him out of the river. Mm -hmm. It's a reverse fall language that's happening. Um, so you have Eve in the garden, the first woman who is like initiating the fall, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But here you have these women that are sort of reversing what Eve did in the garden and they're bringing about mm -hmm. a moment of redemption or initiating a moment of redemption um, in salvation. That's in Exodus uh, chapter 1, verses 15 um, through 21. Um, but anyway, all the Israelite boys then, they're thrown into the Nile. Um, and Moses, he's, you know, a part of this, you know, unfortunate group. Yeah. And he is the first individual. Uh, there's a group of individuals that is meant to echo. I'm going to get that to a second. But Moses becomes this individual that's going to go through the waters and be rescued through the waters. Hmm. And it becomes this paradigm where I just mentioned a few minutes ago, this idea of baptism. We're going through mm. the waters is like the symbolic way of saying God has rescued me. I've you know, come out the other side, a new yeah. sort of person. And what, what's interesting here is that, so you have uh, back in the early parts of Genesis, you have Noah's told to build a boat, yep. an ark, yep. right? The, the only other time the word ark is used is in this story. Really? In the book of Exodus, yeah. So Moses is placed in, it's usually translated as a basket. In an ark. It's an ark. So Moses gets placed in an ark and goes through the waters and is rescued through the waters, mm. just as Noah was placed in an ark, albeit a much bigger ark, yeah. uh, but is rescued through the waters. And it's this pattern of God taking his people through the waters, and that mm. becomes yeah. Israel, kind crosses of important. The, yeah. Israel crosses the Red Sea, yeah. you know, fling Egypt. Israel crosses the Jordan River. As they go into the promised land, this motif of through the waters and God rescuing his people. Mm. Um, and you might think, okay, so what's the big deal with water? Water in the Hebrew Jewish mind is like this symbol of chaos, this symbol yeah. of just fear yeah. and overwhelming. And it's yeah. this uh, idea that God is Lord over the chaos. God is bringing mm. salvation and redemption through the most distressing, most the thing that the Israelite people would have probably feared the most, at least on a nature sort of level. Yeah. Would have been the waters. Yeah, the Sea of Galilee sea, was yeah, like a dangerous, a dangerous place. place. Yeah. You don't read. I think there's only one story I can think of of Israel being a seafaring type people. They don't have boats. No, they yeah. don't. They're not that type yeah. of people. They're, they're fishermen, they're, they're but they're fishermen. coastal fishermen. Coastal fishermen for yeah. sure, right? There's other nations that have the boats and the yeah. the navy sort of stuff. Israel and their mindset, the sea. That's where chaos yeah. looms. Leviathan. Leviathan, exactly. Yeah. But here is this this paradigm of God rescuing His people um, through the water. So you just have. There's just so many cool things no, we could cool. talk about there. But Moses is being rescued through the waters. Um, and then, well, at least on the notes, you have a picture of my Bible where I've tried to... I debated whether I should just kind of teach from my chicken scratch on <laughs> my own Bible. But I've, if someone wants to look at that, you're more than welcome to. But we can I admire your diligence. <laughs> trying to yeah. figure out like all these different ways, like this, how the story connects. Um, but what's interesting is here's Moses. He's delivered. He's... It's, it's almost this irony because it's the mode by which Pharaoh seeks to destroy what he thinks is his enemy is actually the way God is going to initiate the rescue. So Pharaoh, mm -hmm. right, he's wanting to throw the babies into the, yep. the water, but it's exactly through that 
means God is going to raise up a deliverer who will end up confronting the Pharaoh. And this is exactly what we see. Genesis 50 verse 20, again, just is playing yeah. in the back of our heads. But humans mean for evil, God's going to turn and redeem for good. Wow. Um, and we have uh, this, this motif again of here is God taking what the, the genuine evil that humans do. Yeah. And God is able to, to turn that. I don't, I don't believe God's causing the evil, so to speak, but yeah. God is redeeming that and bringing uh, healing through that. And so yeah, Moses cool. gets risen or gets taken out of the waters. Uh, you have, this is where the whole Prince of Egypt, you know, movie, mm -hmm. you know, comes in mm -hmm. if you grew up on, on that. So Moses becomes literally a prince in Egypt. Yeah. Um, I think the title's absolute, you know, correct there. Um, but then what you have is that you fast forward a number of years um, from the end of chapter one uh, or in the, from the beginning of chapter two, I'm sorry. And by the time you transition from verse 10 of chapter two and you transition from verse 10 into verse 11, okay. there's a, like a time jump, jump yeah. a time jump again. There's a 40 year jump essentially. Yeah. So 400 years, now 40, 40 years. Yeah. So by the time we come to chapter two, verse 11, Moses is about 40 years old. Um, and it seems like maybe an important number. Exactly. Oh yeah. yeah. The, the 40 motif is going to yeah. replay, play itself over and over again, especially in the Exodus story. Um, and Moses is the first one. Um, well actually there's, there's stuff with the flood, but as far as the Exodus is concerned, yeah. Moses is going to be, um, experiencing a 40, um, year gap here in a second. But verse 11, it says Moses had grown up. It's just this fast forward moment. Yeah. And he goes out from his own people and he watched them doing their hard labor, their slavery. Mm -hmm. He sees an Egyptian and what's, what I just want to kind of quickly do is just kind of go through these quick iterations of what Moses is seeing as he's, you know, getting, yeah. you know, he's getting older. Um, kind of real quickly here. The first one is Moses sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. Mm -hmm. And what Moses does is he kills the Egyptian. Um, and it's this moment where Moses has all like, I think he has like this passion, this desire to see justice. He sees that this is wrong and he wants to do something about yeah. it, you know, and you can resonate with, you know, someone like that who has like this ambition, this passion, this desire yeah. to want to make something happen, want to see justice take place. Um, and sometimes when we do things in our own, you know, might and strength, it actually, you know, doesn't all that help as much as it, we want it to. Yeah. Um, so this kind of backfires on Moses because the next verse in verse 13 and into 14 Moses then sees two Hebrews, two Israelite slaves fighting mm -hmm. with each other. Moses tries to intervene. They question Moses and they say to Moses, who made you prince or judge over yeah. us? Yeah. Right? Like who makes you the boss around here? Which is interesting. Later on in the book Exodus and into the Torah, Moses will be called a judge, the, a yeah. judge of Israel. Yeah. So there's this irony here mm. or this is what will happen with Moses. Um, but at this point, Moses doesn't have like the respect and yeah. the leadership. Well, of God Israel. has not made, God him, has not made him that yeah. totally. Yeah. And Moses, he's, he's trying to intervene. He's trying to do the right thing. Yeah. But then he flees in fear because he's like, oh no, word's going to get out that I actually killed uh, the other day. I killed an Egyptian slave yeah. task force master. Um, and so now the Hebrews know. So Moses flees in fear. He goes out into a desert space. Okay. Um, and, and he's let out into a desert space and he settles down, the text says, by a well. Now, if we didn't have time to go through this in the book of Genesis, but the well motif at this point in the story, there's new life. There's moments of uh, new birth, yeah. or at least initiating sort of new families often come about because of a scene at a well. Yeah, um, no, that makes sense. So yeah. there's this there's this kind of uh, hyperlink going back. OK, here's a new well. 
yeah. new life. This is a new beginning. A new beginning, exactly. Yeah. And so I think, uh, you know, there's even the case to be made. You have, you know, water in a desert, yeah. this whole like new Eden sort of imagery. It's like this uh, chance for a restart. Yeah. So that's well, where life comes from. That's where life comes if you from, have right? Water Especially, in a desert. Yeah. I think it's kind of hard for us to imagine. We live by the ocean, we live yeah. in a very lush, you know, environment. Yeah. To think of a you know an ancient nomadic yeah. you know desert like culture wells are a big deal. Yeah. Well spring, well spring. Oh yeah, here we go. Hey, here we, <laughs> here we go. Here we go. Um, but yeah, so you have Moses in the desert. He sees what well, he sees in this scene. This is the third iteration. He sees a group of women. They're trying to get water from a well, but they're actually being harassed uh, by some shepherds. Okay. Moses intervenes and he doesn't kill anyone here, yeah. and he kind of saves the day. And this kind yeah. of leads into sort of Moses's kind of new beginning new in story. new story yeah. uh, where he's going to eventually get married. He's going to have a son and he's going to actually spend a long period of time yeah. in the wilderness. It, the text says in Exodus 2, uh, 23 and following that during those many days, uh, and it can be translated as long period of time. And it's going to be a 40 year gap. Yeah. Um, it's during while well, all this is happening um, in Moses's life, yeah. you have meanwhile back in Egypt, so yeah. to speak. So if you can kind of do like a movie, yeah. but scene it's kind of crazy if you think about it, right? So like we often like in a kid's Bible or whatever, we yeah. we have like Moses's birth and that experience, the the attack, the murder, the fleeing, yeah. And then we have Moses as burning bush rescuer guy, yeah. But like actually, a huge chunk a of huge, Moses's life, yes, is like in the palace and then in the wilderness. In the wilderness, there's so much that happens in Moses's life before the famous like you know Moses the leader yeah. Moses the prophet it'd be fun to hear i mean obviously maybe this is sort of a a time for when we're with Jesus at mm -hmm. the feast yeah uh in the new creation and just ask Moses like so how do you recount those years totally yeah like how would you tell the story yeah what were the formative events that, that shaped you yeah uh, i i think about that time a lot because i think that that probably was, especially early on, was a chaotic season. Like sure. Moses is wondering, am I ever going to go back? Totally. Am I done? Am yeah. I, who am I now? Totally. And I think this is where it, it's these moments in these biblical narratives that I think we often overlook. But when we, even though there might not be a ton of verses on them, just pausing and reflecting on them can really speak to kind of those moments in our lives where like, this is a, again, a huge transition for Moses. There's a yeah. huge amount of uncertainty for Moses. There is... Uh, albeit because of some of Moses' own mistakes, yeah. perhaps led him to this, yeah. and perhaps because of circumstances outside of his own yeah. life. I mean, you have an evil both pharaoh, and. both yeah. and, contributing to where Moses is now in his own wilderness uh, season. Yeah. Uh, and what we're going to get to is we're going to see that God meets Moses in the wilderness. Yeah. And what's also interesting is that before Moses is going to be a leader for the nation of Israel, for the people of Israel yeah. through the wilderness, yeah. Moses is going to have to experience the wilderness himself. Yeah. And there's this, it's a profound, I think, biblical pattern that yeah. you have, you know, David had his moment in the wilderness before he's kind of more on the famous side of things. Yeah. Um, Paul, we know, had a, a period, um, a gap between when you have the road to Damascus in Acts chapter yeah. nine and before he kind of goes on all these missionary journeys. And there's these moments of wilderness. Jesus' temptation. Jesus, oh my goodness, yeah. Jesus' temptation <laughs> in the wilderness. like 40 days. 40 days. Like yeah. it, it, We're all meant to just have these things just chugging in our brain when we're reading these stories. That These are moments where God profoundly meets with his people. There's these profound, profound moments of yeah. encounter and profound moments where I think there's a deep uh, both healing work and a deep work yeah. of transformation. When I was in uh, Israel... Uh, we asked, so we, the the structure was you would follow a rabbi. Yeah. So that's like how we spent all of our days, just walking, sure. following a rabbi. 
And uh, we asked them, uh, you know, so where do people go if they want to encounter God? Mm. And she said, you know, throughout history, the prophets, everyone, if you wanted to encounter God, you didn't go to Jerusalem. Yeah. You didn't go to Galilee. You went into the wilderness. Yeah. Like that is where people go to encounter God. Totally. Yeah. That's, oh, that's good. Because I mean, I just think of like, I think on an existential kind of experiential level, yeah. right? We're, we're so fortunate, right? We live in Pacific Grove. It's one of the, like, the most beautiful places yeah. on earth. So like visually, it doesn't look like a wilderness yeah. per se. Uh, geographically, it doesn't feel like a wilderness. But on an experiential level, in the midst of everything that's going on, it, it feels kind of dry. Yeah. It feels like, God, where are you yeah. in this? Like, you know, this just the, the shock and the change and just like the uncertainty of it all. Mm-hmm. Um, these wilderness stories in the, in the scriptures, I think really speak at both our response. Like yeah. what's our response to be in the moments of wilderness yeah. and what does God want to do? How is God uh, res- shaping, and shaping forming and forming us, us yeah. in the wilderness? Because what you have in the book of Exodus is you have in Exodus chapter two, at the end of the chapter, it says during those many days, this long period of time, the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery mm. and cried out for help. Uh, and this uh, whole idea of groaning. I mean, mm-hmm. this is Paul. Paul picks up on this theme in Romans chapter eight, yeah. that creation is groaning, longing mm-hmm. um, in anticipation for God's, God's redeeming work to be complete. You know, and I think for us, there's, there's a couple things going on here. Um, Israel is groaning mm-hmm. and I just can't help but wonder. I think there's a f- so many people that go like, yeah, you know, I might not be in slavery. Yeah. We're not like in this yeah. particular circumstance yeah. per se. Um, but there's parallels where there's this groaning, there's this longing, you know, God, we need like the language of yeah. cried out for help. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, people oh groan goodness. in mansions and people groan in favelas. Totally. Exactly. Like, gr- human groaning. I, I mean, I know very rich people that are terribly unhappy yeah. and are really struggling with health stuff or just their own emotional health, totally. right? The whole thing. Uh, I know people that are in very poor neighborhoods that aren't groaning. Yeah. Right? Like sometimes we we sort of think you oh, have yeah, to be you have to be this demo- particularly mm-hmm. social economic, yeah. right? Like they're the only people that groan. No, it's like everyone groans. Everyone is. The, the problem with poverty often is that you have not only financial but then emotional, exactly. but that so now you have more factors, more factors that potentially can influence your groaning. Exactly. Totally. Yeah. Oh yeah, and I think it gets to this idea of you know, you know, when Paul talks about, you know, creation groaning and us groaning that oftentimes in Romans eight, he says that we don't know what to pray for. Like we're yeah. just at a loss for words. Yeah. But he, Paul says in Romans eight that the spirit intercedes for us. Yeah. The spirit prays on behalf of us. It's this beautiful picture mm-hmm. of like, even in our inability to like articulate, oh, we know it's bad. We know it's hard. Yeah. We know it's difficult, but we have a hard time even articulating that this word groaning kind of captures that. God is going to meet his people in that because they, their cry for rescue, it says that it comes up to God. I think this is beautiful image of like our prayers actually matter. Our prayers actually, you know, make a difference. They're not just hitting the ceiling and, you know, bouncing off somewhere. They go up to God. Verse 24, right? God heard their groaning. Their groaning. Yeah. And it's, I love this, that it's a beautiful, it's, it's a, it's an overlooked verse, but it it communicates so much Mm -hmm. on the importance of prayer in moments of hardship mm-hmm. and in, in wilderness. Our prayers go up. That's good. And God coming down. It's this I love like that intersection, that yeah. interchange um, that's happening. And then it says verse twenty five, God saw the people of Israel and God knew. 
and this is the idea of like the seeing, the the this, the action of God seeing mm-hmm. and God knowing, mm-hmm. and God not being distant or absent yeah. from our hardships or trials. Yeah. But God and God sees, remembering the covenant. God too. remembering the covenant. Yeah. So like you have God hearing. You've God remembering, you have God seeing, and you have God knowing. God knowing. It's all it's all there. And again, this is a forty year period. We actually get that that information from the book of Acts. This is a forty year period of groaning, of longing, both on the part of the nation of Israel. And I mean, my goodness, you mentioned earlier the four hundred years. So I mean yeah. it's going back even further. But specifically in this uh, micro section of the narrative, yeah. Moses is in the wilderness, Israel is in slavery. And the groanings and the cries come up before God. And God's, mm. when we transition to chapter three, um, God's going to respond um, in a it's pretty powerful. surprising surprising sort of way, I think. Um, I think one thing to just kind of point out is that um, there's something that I think happens in these wilderness moments. And I want to zoom in on Moses' encounter on the burning bush here. I don't know how we're doing on time, but this might be a long one. Or we could I could chop it up. Or, how long are we at? Uh, that's a good question. What's this thing say? Oh, it says 46 minutes. We're at 46 now. <laughs> 46. Okay. We should probably we should probably probably get to like let so. Me, yeah. yeah. Let me. I'll try to land it here. And if there's more that I think we maybe we should say on a, an additional yeah. thing here on the burning bush scene in particular. Um, but I think one thing to kind of note, and I'll kind of just let Ruth Haley Barton kind of wrap it up here, is that this moment for Moses in the wilderness again, it doesn't get a lot of airtime as far as verses go. Yeah. But we see a profound shift in the way Moses, where he's like this eager beaver in Exodus 2, where he's like, I'm going to step in, I'm going to do something. He's almost like the opposite when you get into chapter 3. He's very reluctant, he's Mm. hesitant. Um, And there's like this slowing down, there's this maturing that I think has happened in Moses' Mm. life. There's this, um, the text says when he comes to the burning bush, that Moses stopped and turned and he paid attention, and then God spoke to him. Mm. And I kind of always wonder, like, what if Moses was kind of just kept going along, just kept doing his thing and didn't yeah. slow down to stop and pay attention in the wilderness? Because it wasn't until then, then God spoke to Moses when Moses actually stopped to pay attention. Um, and so I think, you know, Ruth Haley Barton, she has a, a little book kind of on a lot of these wilderness experiences with Moses. She says, Moses remained in a solitary, non-public existence for a long time. It was as if, in some deep fundamental way, he just let go. He let go of his dreams of fixing anything, of helping anyone, and even living among his people. Instead, he received what was given. He was offered a home in Midian, so he settled there. He was given a wife, so he took her as her own. He fathered a son and became a touchstone in his own life, an opportunity to name something about himself with even more courage or realism um, before and when his son was born, he named his son Gershom. This is Exodus two twenty two, or because Moses says, "I have been an alien residing in a foreign place." And it's almost there has been this humble acceptance on the part of Moses, where I'm in this wilderness space. Hmm. Um, it's hard. It's difficult. And at least in this moment, there's this letting go that has to happen. Yeah. There's this letting go of maybe some of the dreams, the ambitions that Moses had, or at least a. Uh, re-offering them back to God yeah. and saying, God, what do you actually want to do in this moment? What do you actually want to do in my life in this sort of transition wilderness mm-hmm. um, sort of space? And I think there's an invitation for us. I think I feel this on so many levels, like with so much uncertainty, with so much just like, what is my life going to look like a year yeah. from now? Of like, God, I have to bring all those sort of ideas and dreams and plans before yeah. you and just say, you know, you know, I don't. 
And it's this invitation. Again, we're coming back to this trusting God kind yeah. of theme here um, where I think God wants to continually be working in us and through us in this way of saying, will you trust me? Yeah. Will you trust me in the wilderness? Um, and what we'll see in the Exodus burning bush story is God profoundly meets with his people yeah. in the wilderness. Again, like you mentioned your, your story there, it's where these beautiful encounters with God take place uh, in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. The burning bush is a prime example of that. Yeah. So. so in this chaos of this present moment, we can trust on some level, where is Jesus? Oh, he's actually with us mm-hmm. in the trial. Yeah, totally. That we're, when we're in the wilderness, when we're sort of in this unknown land, this unknown yeah. experience, this existential sense of like angst, yeah. Jesus is with us there shaping and forming totally. us. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think that's important to hold on to. Um, totally. Even though it's hard to to maybe feel. Yeah. yeah sometimes it's see. not an emotional experience, yeah. but it's a physical it's a, and a spiritual reality. Totally. 100%. Yeah. And just to lean on those promises and to lean on the faithfulness of God. It's awesome. Super important. So. Sounds good. Cool. Let's talk about it more. All right. All right.